Part Two, Chapter Three of the Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami, M.D. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One by Edward Tyus Cook. The Hospitals at Scutari. Dearth of creative brain power showed itself in our Levantine hospitals, for there industrious functionaries worked hard at their accustomed tasks and doggedly omitted to innovate at times when not to be innovating was surrendering, as it were, at discretion to want and misery. But happily, after a while, and in gentle, almost humble disguise, which put foes of change off their guard, there acceded to the state a new power, Kinglake. Miss Nightingale reported the arrival of her expedition at Constantinople in a short note to her parents. Constantinople, November 4th, on board, Vectus. Dearest people, anchored off the Seraglio port, waiting for our fate, whether we can disembark direct into the hospital, which, with our heterogeneous mass, we should prefer. At six o'clock yesterday morn, I staggered on deck to look at the plains of Troy, the tomb of Achilles, the mouths of the Scamander, the little harbor of Tenedos, between which and the main shore are Vectus, with stewards' cabins and galley torn away, blustering, creaking, shrieking, storming, rushed on her way. It was in a dense mist that the ghosts of the Trojans answered my cordial hail, through which the old gods, nevertheless, peered down from the hill of Ida upon their old plain. My enthusiasm for the heroes, though, was undiminished by wind and rain. We made the castles of Europe and Asia, Dardanelles, by eleven, but also reached Constantinople this morn in a thick and heavy rain, through which the Sophia, Suleiman, the Seven Towers, the Walls, and the Golden Horn looked like a bad daguerreotype washed out. We have not yet heard what the embassy or military hospital have done for us, nor received our orders. Bad news from Balaclava. You will hear the awful wreck of our poor cavalry, four hundred wounded, arriving at this moment for us to nurse. We have just built another hospital at the Dardanelles. You will want to know about our crew. One has turned out ill, others will do. Later. Just starting for Scutari, we are to be housed in the hospital this very afternoon. Everybody is most kind. They are landing them now. The hospital to which Miss Nightingale refers was to be the chief scene of her labors for the next six months, and a few particulars about it and other hospitals in which the nursing was under her superintendence must be given in order to make future proceedings intelligible. The principal hospitals of the British Army during the Crimean War, four in number, were at Scutari, or in its immediate neighborhood, the suburb of mournful beauty which looks across to Constantinople from the Asiatic side of the Bosphorus. The first hospital to be established was in the Turkish Military Hospital. This was made over to the British in May 1854 and was called by them the General Hospital. 
having been originally designed for a hospital and being given up to the English, partially fitted, it was, wrote Miss Nightingale, reduced to good order early by the unwearied efforts of the first-class staff surgeon in introducing a good working system. It was then maintained in excellent condition till the close of the war. Note. Statement, page 13. Note. End note. It had accommodation for 1,000 patients, but the Battle of the Alma showed that much larger accommodation would be wanted. North of the General Hospital and near to the famous Turkish cemetery of Scutari are the Selimiye Barracks, a great yellow building with square towers at each angle. This building was made over to the British for use as a hospital after the Battle of the Alma, and by them was always called the Barrack Hospital. This is the hospital in which Miss Nightingale and her band of female nurses were first established, and in which she herself had her headquarters throughout her stay at Scutari. It is built on rising ground, in a beautiful situation, looking out over the Sea of Marmara on one side, toward the Prince's Islands on another, and toward Constantinople and up the Bosphorus on a third. I have not been out of the hospital walls yet, wrote Miss Nightingale, ten days after her arrival, but the most beautiful view in all the world, I believe, lies outside. Her quarters were in the northwest tower on the left of the main guard or principal entrance. There was a large kitchen or storeroom, of which we shall hear more presently, and out of it on either side various other rooms opened. Mr. Bracebridge and the courier slept in one small room, Miss Nightingale and Mrs. Bracebridge in another. The nurses slept in other rooms. The whole space occupied by Miss Nightingale and her nurses was about equal to that allotted to three medical officers and their servants, or to that occupied by the commandant. This was done, she explained, in order to make no pressure for room on an already overcrowded hospital. It could not have been done with justice to the women's health had not Miss Nightingale later taken a house in Scutari at private expense, to which every nurse attacked with fever was removed. Note. Notes. Bibliography A, number 8, section 3, page 33, end note. The quarters were as uncomfortable as they were cramped. Occasionally, wrote Miss Nightingale, our roof is torn off, or the windows are blown in, and we are under water for the night. The hospital was infested also with rodents and vermin, and among other new accomplishments, acquired under the stress of new occasions, Miss Nightingale became an expert rat-killer. This skill was afterwards called into use at Balaclava. In the spring of 1856, one of the nuns, whom she had taken with her to the Crimea, Sister Mary Martha, had a dangerous attack of fever. Miss Nightingale nursed the case, and one night, while watching by the sick bed, she saw a large rat upon the rafters over the sister's head. She succeeded in knocking it down and killing it without disturbing the patient. Note. Grant, page 174. End note. The condition of physical discomfort in which, surrounded by terrible scenes of suffering she had to do her work, should be remembered in taking the measure of her fortitude and devotion. Note. 
For a lively description of like discomforts endured by her staff, see Eastern Hospitals, Volume 1, pages 91 to 94. End note. The maximum number of patients accommodated at any one time, December 23, 1854, in the Barrack Hospital was 2,434. It was half an hour's walk from the General Hospital, and an invalided soldier records that he used to accompany Miss Nightingale from one hospital to another in order to light her home on wet stormy nights across the barren common which lay between them. Farther south of the General Hospital in the quarter of Haidar Pasha was what was known as the Palace Hospital, consisting of various buildings belonging to the Sultan's Summer Palace. These were occupied as a hospital in January 1855. Miss Nightingale had no responsibility here, but in the summer of 1855, the female nursing of sick officers quartered in one of these buildings was placed under the superintendence of Mrs. Willoughby Moore, the widow of an officer who had died a noble death in the war, and four female nurses sent out specially from England. Finally, there were hospitals at Kulali, four or five miles farther north, upon the same Asiatic shore of the Bosphorus. These hospitals were opened in December 1854. The nursing in them was originally under Miss Nightingale's supervision, but she was presently relieved of it. See note, page 193. The hospitals were broken up in November 1855, when, of the female nursing establishment, a portion went home, and the rest passed under Miss Nightingale into the hospitals at Scutari. There were also five hospitals in the Crimea, but particulars of these may be deferred till the time comes for following Miss Nightingale upon her expeditions to the front, for the nursing in the civil military hospitals, that is, hospitals controlled by a civilian medical staff, at Ren Kioi on the Dardanelles, and at Smyrna, and for the naval hospital at Therapia, Miss Nightingale had no responsibility, though there is voluminous correspondence among her papers showing that she was constantly consulted upon the site and arrangements of these hospitals. The medical superintendent of the hospital at Renkioi was Dr. E. A. Parks, with whom Miss Nightingale formed a friendship which endured to the end of his life. Section 2 the state of the hospitals when Miss Nightingale arrived requires some description, which, however, need not be long. The treatment of the sick and wounded during the Crimean War was the subject of departmental inquiries, select committees, and royal commissions, which, when they had finished sitting upon the hospitals, began sitting upon each other. Enormous piles of blue books were accumulated, and in the course of my work I have disturbed much dust upon them. The conduct of every department and every individual concerned was the subject of charge, answer, and countercharge innumerable. Each generation deserves, no doubt, the records of maladministration which it gets, but one generation need not be punished by having to examine in detail the records of another. Some of the details of the Crimean muddle will indeed necessarily be disinterred in the course of our story but all that need here be collected from the heaps aforesaid are three general conclusions. The reader must remember in the first place that apart from controverted particulars, 
it was made abundantly manifest that there was gross neglect in the service of the sick and wounded. The conflict of testimony is readily intelligible. It was easy to give an account based upon the facts of one hospital or of one time which was not applicable to another. At Scutari, for instance, the general hospital was from the first better ordered than the barrack hospital. Then again, different witnesses had different standards of what was good in war hospitals. To some, anything was good if it was no worse than the standard of the Peninsular War. Of Sir George Brown, who commanded the Light Division in the Crimea, it was said, as he was thrown into a cart on some straw when shot through the legs in Spain, he thinks the same conveyances admirable now, and hates ambulances as the invention of the evil one. Note, J. B. Atkins, Life of Sir W. H. Russell, Volume 1, page 143, and note. Miss Nightingale had much indignant sarcasm for those who seemed content that the soldier in hospital should be placed in the condition of former wars, instead of perceiving that he should be treated with that degree of decency and humanity which the improved feeling of the nineteenth century demands. But the principal reason for the conflict of testimony was that the very facts of protest and inquiry put all the officials concerned upon the defensive. Any suggestion of default or defect was resented as a personal imputation. There is a curious illustration in the letter which the head of the Army Medical Department wrote to his principal medical officer in view of the Roebuck Committee. I beg you to supply me, and that immediately. With what? With the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, with every kind of information which you may deem likely to enable me to establish a character for it, the department, which the public appear desirous to prove that it does not possess. Note. Notes, section 1, page 22, end note. What Greville wrote in his journal, the accounts published in the Times turn out to be true, was established by official inquiry and admitted by ministers. In consequence of the indictment in the Times, a commission of inquiry was dispatched to the East by the Secretary of State. The commission arrived at Constantinople simultaneously with Miss Nightingale, and four months later it reported to the Duke of Newcastle. Note. This commission is referred to on later pages as the Duke of Newcastle's. End note. I need not trouble the reader here with many particulars of its report, for they were adopted and confirmed by a select committee of the House of Commons a few months later, the famous Roebuck Committee, which pronounced succinct sentence that the state of the hospitals was disgraceful. The ships which brought the sick and wounded from the Crimea were painfully ill-equipped. The voyage from Balaclava to Scutari usually took eight days and a half. During the first four months of the war, there died on a voyage no longer than from Tynemouth to London, 74 out of every 1,000 embarked. The landing arrangements added to the men's suffering. To an unpracticed eye, the buildings used as hospitals at Scutari were imposing and convenient, and this fact accounts for some of the rose-colored descriptions by which persons in high places were for a time misled. 
Even the principal medical officer on the spot was naively content with whitewash as a preparation to fit the barrack for use as a hospital. In fact, however, the buildings were pest houses. Underneath the great structures were sewers of the worst possible construction, loaded with filth, mere cesspools, in fact, through which the wind blew sewer air up the pipes of numerous open privies into the corridors and wards where the sick were lying. Note. Notes. Section 3. Page 3 and 9. End note. There was also frightful overcrowding. For many months, the space for each patient was one-fourth of what it ought to have been. It is impossible, Miss Nightingale told the Royal Commission of 1857, to describe the state of the atmosphere of the barrack hospital at night. I have been well acquainted with the dwellings of the worst parts of most of the great cities in Europe, but have never been in any atmosphere which I could compare with it. Lastly, hospital comforts and even many hospital necessaries were deficient. Note. If any reader desires to be sickened, I recommend to him the reports on the hospitals by the Sanitary Commissioners of 1855. And if anyone desires to find painful details under some of these heads detailed above, without recourse to blue books, he may be referred to the report in Hansard of the speech made by Mr. Augustus Stafford, an eyewitness of what he described, in the House of Commons, January 29th, 1855. The supply of bedsteads was inadequate. The commonest utensils for decency, as well as for comfort, were lacking. The sheets, said Miss Nightingale, were of canvas and so coarse that the wounded men begged to be left in their blankets. It was indeed impossible to put men in such a state of emaciation into those sheets. There was no bedroom furniture of any kind, and only empty beer or wine bottles for candlesticks. Necessary surgical and medical appliances were often either wanting or not forthcoming. There was no machinery, until Miss Nightingale came, for providing any hospital delicacies. The result of this state of things upon patients arriving after a painful voyage, in an extreme state of weakness and emaciation from wounds, from frostbite, from dysentery, may be imagined, and it is no wonder that cholera and typhus were rife. In February 1855, the mortality per cent of the cases treated was 42. No words are necessary to emphasize so terrible a figure. Mr. Herbert had not waited for the reports of the Commission and Committee to reach the conclusion that things were wrong. I have for some time, he wrote on December 14, 1854, to the commandant at Scutari, been very anxious and very much dissatisfied as to the state of the hospital. I believe that every effort has been made by the medical men, and I hear that you have been indefatigable in the conduct of the immediate business of your department, but there has been evidently a want of cooperation between departments, and a fear of responsibility or timidity arising from an entire misconception of the wishes of the government. No expense has been spared at home, and immense stores are sent out, but they are not forthcoming. Some are at Varna, and for some inexplicable reason they are not brought down to Scutari. When stores are in the hospital, 
they are not issued without forms so cumbrous as to make the issue unavailing through delay. The purveyor's staff is said to be insufficient. The commissariat staff is said to be insufficient. Your own staff is said to be insufficient, and etc. By admission, then, and by official sentence, there were things amiss at Scutari which urgently called for amendment. This is the first general conclusion which has to be remembered in relation to Miss Nightingale's work. To what individuals the disgrace of a disgraceful state of things attached, it is happily no concern of ours here to inquire. But as I have called Mr. Sidney Herbert as a witness to the fact of the disgrace, I must add my conviction that his own part in the business was wholly beneficent. Some research among the documents entitles me, perhaps to express, entire agreement with Mr. Kinglake's remark upon what might have been if the government, instead of appointing a commission of inquiry on the 23rd of October, had then delegated Mr. Sidney Herbert to go out for a month to the Bosphorus and there dictate immediate action. At home, Mr. Herbert was a good man struggling in the toils. The fact is that though there were some individuals palpably to blame, the real fault was everybody's and nobody's. It was the fault of a vicious system, or rather the vice was that there was no system at all, no coordination, but only division of responsibility. The remarks of Mr. Herbert just quoted point to the evil, and on every page of the blue books it is written large. There were at least eight authorities working independently of each other whose cooperation was yet necessary to get anything well done. There was the Secretary of State, there was the War Office, under the Secretary at War, there were the Horse Guards, the Ordnance, the Victualling Office, the Transport Office, the Army Medical Department, and the Treasury. The Director General of the Medical Department in London told the Roebuck Committee that he was under five distinct masters, the Commander-in-Chief, the Secretary of State, the Secretary at War, the Master General of Ordnance, and the Board of Ordnance. The Secretary of State said that he had issued no instructions as to the hospitals. He had left that to the Medical Board. But the Medical Director General said that it would have been impertinent for him to take the first step. Note, Roebuck Committee, Fifth Report, pages 17 and 19. End note. If I were writing the history of the Crimean War, or of the government offices, other fundamental reasons for the disgraceful state of things in the hospitals, notably the miscalculated plan of military campaign, would have to be taken into account. But I am writing only the life of Miss Nightingale, and all that under this head the reader needs to be asked to bear in mind is this, that the root of the evils which had to be dealt with was division of responsibility and reluctance to assume it. The third conclusion of the official inquiries, which I want to emphasize, is contained in a passage in the Roebuck Committee's report, which prefaced a reference to Miss Nightingale's mission. Your committee, in conclusion, cannot but remark that the first real improvements in the lamentable condition of the hospitals at Scutari are to be attributed to private suggestions, private exertions, and private benevolence. So then we see that there were disgraceful evils at Scutari, needing amendment, and that in order to amend them, what was needed was bold initiative. 
This it was that Miss Nightingale supplied. The popular voice thought of her only or mainly as the gentle nurse. That too she was, and to her self-devotion, in applying a woman's insight to a new sphere, a portion of her fame must ever be ascribed. But when men who knew all the facts spoke of her commanding genius, note, Dean Stanley, Memorials of Edward and Catherine Stanley, 2nd edition, page 335. So, too, Mr. Sidney Herbert, in his speech at Willis's Rooms on November 29, 1855, referred to her as a woman of genius. End note. It was rather of her work as an administrator that they were thinking. They could scarcely realize without personally seeing it, Mr. Stafford told the House of Commons, the heartfelt gratitude of the soldiers, or the amount of misery which had been relieved by Miss Nightingale and her nurses, and he added, it was impossible to do justice not only to the kindness of heart, but to the clever judgment, the ready intelligence, and the experience displayed by the distinguished lady to whom this difficult mission had been entrusted. These were the qualities which enabled her to reform or to be the inspirer and instigator of reforms in the British system of military hospitals. She began her work where it lay immediately to her hand in the Barrack Hospital at Scutari. She did the work in three ways. She applied an expert's touch and a woman's insight to a hospital hitherto managed exclusively by men. She boldly assumed responsibility and did things herself, which she could find no one else ready to do. And thirdly, she was instant and persistent in suggestion, exhortation, reproaches, addressed to the authorities at home. It will not be possible to keep these three branches of our subject entirely distinct, but in the main they will form the topics successively of the next three chapters. End of Part 2, Chapter 3, The Hospitals at Scutari